episode 152 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. We're in New York City. It's Brenda's birthday today. Super excited for what I have planned for Brenda. If you're friends with her, if you know her, shoot her a happy birthday message on Facebook. Um, exciting episode. I talked to Scott Denisi about total nuclear annihilation. A big day for Scott yesterday. The order banks opened up. So we have a great talk about how he feels about that. Um, I know I saw that Nate interviewed Scott on Coast to Coast Pinball. And I'm like, what's up with that? Because I was supposed to talk to Scott last Friday. He said he was busy. Then I see Nate has an interview up before me. He scooped me. You did it. Nate scooped me. I'm happy. I'm happy to see more Coast to Coast pinball interviews and more shows from Nate going up. I think it's a good thing. I really, really am happy Nate is back in the game. Um, new episode up from Head to Head Pinball from Ryan C. and Martin over there in Australia. I love that show as well. You guys should check it out. I'm going to do a couple news items and then we'll get right to it. So news item number one is Jersey Jack Pinball going to be making a new Guns N' Roses pinball machine. That's why you heard a little GNR to start this podcast. Uh, There's a photo circulating. Uh, Joe Newhart from Pinball Star uh, got Slash and Duff of Guns N' Roses to play dialed in. So there's definitely a relationship there between some Guns N' Roses members and Jersey Jack Pinball. I think Slash owns a Wizard of Oz. I remember seeing a picture of him with that machine. Uh, Does this mean GNR will return for a new machine? I would love it. I would love Jersey Jack to make a Guns N' Roses pinball machine. I don't know if it'll happen. I, I don't know. I would love to have some Chinese democracy mixed in with some illusion and appetite and some lies. I still think GNR is the greatest band of all time, but I think if it does happen, it's going to be a few years out. And if they if they were planning properly, they'd want that game out when Guns N' Roses is doing their sort of farewell, not in this lifetime tour. Okay, so what else is going on in the world of pinball? I saw that an alien has started to ship. I felt so bad. This guy finally gets his alien machine and it's coming from Cointaker and the glass shattered in the game. On, on, on delivery, he opens it up and the glass is all shattered. Now, this is the second time we've seen the alien pinball machines arrive with the glass busted in the game. One arrived at TPF with glass all busted. So I think you have to worry a little bit since there's only about 20 games that have gone out, is something wrong in, in, in terms of how that glass is, is, is it too loose? Is it too tight? And why is the glass shattering? I, I, I don't know. Hopefully that's not going to be a problem that plagues more aliens as they go out to owners. But it is really good news that alien is going out the door. I want everyone who paid for their alien to get their alien. I, I, I think it is good good that we're seeing games go out and that coin taker is getting some machines all right all right so some other news updates and i got an email on this and and i i deserve to get my wrist slapped a little bit for not covering this news andy tucker thank you for listening to the show andy's a kiss le owner and i totally glossed over the fact that there's new kiss le code that's been released 
But Andy hit me up to let me know that there's a bug in the code, that he's waited a year and a half, and there's the code is still buggy. And the, the bug that he found, and I, he wrote me an explanation of it, uh, so, some, something with all the arrows light up when you're in a mode, and, and then one arrow changes color to tell you what shot you have to hit. And apparently the bug is all the arrows stay white. So something's not changing color. So there's a bug in the KISS LE code. Um, look, the reason I don't cover KISS LE code, it's like covering Kevin Kulik. It's, it's been forever and a day. I, I think Stern has given up on this game. They still didn't code the cities into the game. And what do you, I, I really don't, I honestly, I, I feel like, there's nothing really more to say about the fact that because Stern waited so long on Kiss, they'll never get the excitement back into that game. They never will. There's just there's a window of opportunity to keep people excited on a property, uh, and people have moved on. So if you have a Kiss, I think Stern abandoned you for such a long time, um, and it's just a real shame. It's a real shame. Um, you know, speaking of code, so. Do, here's another rumor I'm hearing. Here's another rumor I'm hearing. That Lyman is not just coding Batman. That Lyman is coding another game. He is coding Elvira 3. He is coding Elvira 3. That's the rumor. That's the rumor that he's working on the game. He has white wood in his basement. Do you believe that rumor? I don't know if I believe it. That's what I heard. Um, it, it, it's, I know he's frustrated. I've heard from people at Stern that he's frustrated. It's taking so long. Uh, it has taken a really long time. And I, but part of me is just like, it's been eight months since he's had Batman 66 to work with. Does it really take that long to code a pinball machine? Uh, I, I, I don't understand. The, the thing is, we know when he finishes, it's going to be great. But when will that be? And will Batman wake up the way The Walking Dead woke up, the way he was able to make Metallica great. I, I, you know, that's the thing with Batman. You just don't know if the physical shots and the code will ever sync up to make Batman worth what people paid for Batman. Um, so that's, that's something that's just continues to to be on people's mind who own a Batman 66. I don't see many of them for sale, though. I think owners are holding on. I think it's one of those things where you'd be dumb to get out now because if the code does become incredible and you sold your Batman, uh, I, I think you'd regret it, especially if you have an LE or Super LE because those don't come up for sale hardly ever. I don't see them. I don't see people wanting to get rid of them. Uh, what else is going on? So rumors about next title. So here's the thing. It's the rumors about Christopher Franchi coming to Expo, having a panel discussion about Batman art and his next game. Does that mean his next game will be there? I don't know what his next game is. It's within the rumor mill. It's either going to be Guardians of the Galaxy or it's going to be Deadpool. I, I would think one of those two. Uh, or it's going to be Iron Maiden. So, you know, it's like or, or, or. I'm just going out. I'm really just going down all the titles that are rumored to be Stern's next. My my guess is I think he's going to be on Guardians. I think it makes sense for Franchi's kind of artwork. Uh, and I, the rumor that I'm hearing is it's going to be a very, very detailed game. If you think Star Wars artwork was a little disappointing and you wanted to see more detail and hand-drawn artwork, uh, I can almost 100% guarantee you that what Christopher Franchi's next game delivers will be a world of art. And so you won't be left with a lot of 
barren playfield Photoshop drag and drop stuff. I think I think Stern is going to turn the corner. I've been so down on Star Wars, and I and I have my reasons why, and you know that. I'm not going to go into them again. Um, but machines can be so much more, and and I think we're, we're hearing that, and I'm glad. I'm the the final point I want to make here. I'm really glad that people haven't remained silent and people have been very vocal about their disappointment in certain aspects of, of, of new pinball machines when they come out and they're not living up to your expectations. You know, there's certain people that think we should just cheerlead every single pinball machine, that any pinball is good pinball and, and we should applaud it. But that's like saying, I'm going to give, I'm going to be excited that any movie comes out because I like movies. Uh, I like pinball. Should I be excited because every pinball machine is about to come out? Um, and I, I don't think so. I, I think you're allowed to have an opinion like movies, like music. Uh, and we talk about this when I interview Scott. Pinball is 100% subjective, 100% subjective. There is no formula or objective way to say I made a great pinball machine. Some people love The Walking Dead. Some people hate it. Some people love Tron. Some people hate it. Some people love Lord of the Rings. Some people hate it. And, and that's just pinball. And so you're going to get a lot of varying opinions about a game. But but value, I don't think value is subjective. See, value is the one objective area of pinball. You know, if you look at a machine and you look at the price of the machine and you look at an LE versus a premium and you can objectively say, is there $1,500 more value in this game versus this game? And in, in terms of parts, Right. If, if all of the value is just in different artwork and, and a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff and rarity, then I think I think I think you're in trouble. And I've been saying it limited edition from here on out. I think limited edition games. LE is starting to stand for the loser edition. Yes, you are starting to showcase that you will you are a loser if you are buying an LE and there's no real value. I'll tell you why because you're losing items from the machine. You are losing a shaker, you're losing a backlash, you're losing features, you're losing the things that made an LE an LE. And I hope this is just a blip in the radar. I really do. I think what's happened here is I think they spent a ton of money on the Star Wars license and they yanked everything out. I think we're going to get a return to what a real LE is. And remember, a real LE should have stuff that make it undeniably the addition you should get. This, look at Batman, for example. The LE owners got the topper. The topper was everything in that game. It's so awesome. And you know what? If you didn't get an LE or if you didn't get a super LE, you couldn't get the topper. That's how it needs to be. There needs to be some exclusive item, exclusive feature that warrants paying more. It can't just be 800 of art that's not really that special. Okay. All right. We've belabored it. I know. Um, all right, let me read another email I got from a listener to the show. Um, I want to give a shout out to David. Um, David F., thank you for listening to Canada's Pinball Podcast. David told me the story of how uh, he found my show. Uh, he came to Pinside after I was banned, and he had uploaded a comment 
about how he didn't like, I believe it was dialed in, he said a, a, a remark, and someone said, this guy sounds a lot like Canada. Uh, can we get a poll to find out how many people think he sounds like him? And because he was called that, uh, he went and, and found out who Canada was. And he realized that, you know what? He found the smartest man on the planet next to him, and that was me, him and I. Between the two of us, we know everything there is to know. So if I don't know it, David knows it. So David, thank you for listening to the show. He, 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 he was having some, some neck surgery, and he was recovering, and he said that my episodes helped him in his recovery. And it's true. My voice has a numbing effect on the human body. You hear it? And it'll put you out. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be out of your pain pretty quickly. Um, so, David, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, he wrote something. He said, I think you nailed it when you said that Stern makes great $6,000 machines. I have the four original unlicensed Data East titles in my collection, and I love them. It is hilarious that people that snub their noses at the Data East games and pay double for Bally Williams games are standing in line to buy these cheap machines from Stern. Stern knows a license will move units, and he has a big facility with a lot of people. He has to sell and deliver X amount of pins, and he has to make X amount per pin. That is how they start their design process, and it shows. All right. Well, you know what, David? I, look, I... I I think you're right that Stern needs to stay in business. Now, I was reading on Pinside, and this is crazy when you think about it. Scott Denisi would be happy if they sell 50 total nuclear annihilations when the order banks open. Stern makes 50 pinball games a day. A day, people. They, that, that just shows the difference. It shows the difference between Stern and everybody else. 50 a day. They will make in one day. What Spooky might sell making total nuclear annihilations for months. And, and that's just the reality of who Stern is. Stern is mass market. Now, my issue has always been don't pay a premium for the mass market product. If Stern wants to make something special, call it limited, call it super then it should be limited and it should be super and it should be special. We know they're capable of it and I think they're going to get back to it. All right, what else is going on? Home pin is, is getting Thunderbirds ready. I, I've, I've really been holding back because I wanted to get Mike on the show. I don't think he's coming on the show. I've been hearing from a lot of you that you don't really like the artwork, that you think the art is... <laughs> I, someone, I'm not going to name names because it's, 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 someone just said, I can't believe this shit. And he sent me a picture of the Thunderbirds back glass. And he's like, I, I can't believe people aren't just roasting this. And look, again, back to the world, it's subjective. Whether you like it or not, ultimately, Mike's pen is going to come out. It is going to come out at a time when there's so many options, there's so many themes people love. And I've said it before, I think Thunderbirds has an uphill battle to climb. And if the game doesn't speak to people, uh, I think he's going to have a hard time selling it over here. Now, I can't speak for people over in Australia who love this theme, Thunderbirds. I don't know what's wrong with those Aussies. Or is it, is it Aussies? Why do they love Thunderbirds? The show is like so old and so weird and so quirky. Uh, it is the last theme I would ever, ever pick to launch my pinball company. Um, all right, last point real quick. I want to say a big congratulations to Mr. Zach Sharp for being named... Uh, the marketing manager over at Stern, Zach, 
congratulations. I hit him up. We definitely want to get Zach on the show. I think it's great that Stern is, is sort of shuffling the cards a little bit, shaking stuff up over there at, at Stern. Um, their marketing, you know me, I work in marketing. Their marketing to date has been, uh, hasn't been the best. Uh, they've got some figures within their marketing department that have have some anger management issues at times. I, you know, you don't curse, you don't curse out your customers on Twitch streams. You just don't do that. You don't ban people on social media for saying they have a problem with their game. The whole point of social media is that when people buy your product and they have an issue, they want to be able to go on the social media and explain their issue and get customer service. They don't want to be banned and blacklisted. That's not that's not the way the modern world works. So Zach, I, I am, I'm happy that there is a new error within Stern Marketing. And I think Zach and, and, um, and Jared are gonna do amazing things together. I really do. I think both these guys have the right mentality, have the right passion for pinball and the right mindset. And I told Jared, you're coming back on the show and this time we're gonna freaking air the interview. We're gonna air it. We're not going to do an hour and a half, two hour talk, and then I have to shelve it because it didn't get final approval from someone up top. Come on, we're just talking pinball. I think the main reason it got canned is I asked him what he thought of Steve Ritchie calling Pinside a cancer. Maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. You know, sometimes, Canada, I try to get the dirt, a little bit of the drama. And it, sometimes it comes back to bite me, and they didn't improve it. So um, next time, I'll, 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 I won't ask such a, such a, uh, a loaded question. I'm, I probably will anyway. So come on, Jared. Come on the show. Um, I'll, I'll promote, what is it? Where's he working these days? Hooters? I'm always seeing him post about like bacon-wrapped buffalo wings all day long. It makes me hungry. Um, anyway, I'm going to give you Scott Denisi. I want to say congratulations to Scott. Uh, this game will be coming out by the end of the year going to be interesting. I would have hoped them to get it out a little sooner because I think by December, man, there's going to be a lot of competition. But the interesting part about this game is the non-refundable deposit. You will only go in on one if you want one. This is a game for pinball fans. These guys are having fun making the machine. They've, they've worked hard to get the machine to $6,000. And my hat's off to them. You know, I, I, I really do. I, I think Scott and, and Spooky uh, are doing something that's good for the pinball community. And even if I don't love everything about the game, I love the fact that the game is coming out uh, because it's a different type of game. And I'm, if there's anything I'm tired of, it's these glorified old designers who keep recycling their ideas and charging me more money for games they made 10, 20 years ago without anything original or new. Scott, congrats for making a game that will stick out in a good way in, in someone's collection. Without further ado, Mr. Scott Denisi. Oh, and I'll say this. The quality is not the best because my call recorder software was out of date, so I had to use a different program. And also, Bubba was in heat. Bubba was humping me all day yesterday, and it's, it's solely because he saw that Magic Girl is working again. My Magic Girl's back 100%, and you'll hear him huffing and puffing at certain points. So if you hear a lot of heavy breathing, that's not Brenda being really excited because she's dating me. It's Bubba, all right? But you got to love Bubba. You got to love him. He, he, he supports pinball too, so give him a belly rub if you see him. Here's Scott Denisi. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome back to Canada's Pinball Podcast, a very, very special guest on, on a very special day for this man, uh, Scott Denisi, creator of Total Nuclear Annihilation, 
On the day the order banks opened up, and I have to say, Scott, collectively, I don't think this could happen to a nicer guy. And I think the community universally is super proud and excited that your game is coming to market. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you very much. So appreciate it, man. What was it like waking up today and you're like, shit, orders are coming in today. Were you nervous? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I anyone would be nervous, really. I mean, it's I'm not really nervous that, you know, I, I think like I, I'm, you know, I'm assuming we're going to sell 50. I think that was someone posted that in the thread, actually. I think there was a there was someone who said there was uh, 50 sold. I don't really know right now what the numbers are, but um, the uh, the feeling of just being nervous, I guess, for the fact that like I'm the guy that did everything or most of everything on this machine, like software-wise and physical design and all that other crap. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of like a, a nervous thing. I mean, like this, right. this thing needs to go out now into people's homes. Like that's kind of scary. Nobody can blame Disney when they look at total nuclear annihilation, right? This is <laughs> this is all you, which is which no, is also, also rewarding. I wish I had a scapegoat of some sort. <laughs> right, right. And and so walk us through because the last time we talked on this show, and it was it was a while ago. It was when TNA. It was just total annihilation. Then was making the circuit, and you hadn't yet announced that Spooky was going to build it. So. You've probably mentioned this on, on, on Charlie's podcast, but real quickly, tell us how it went from being your game to a spooky game. Oh, man. Yeah, so, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this a few times, um, so hopefully it's not, uh, hopefully people aren't bored with my story yet, but I've known Charlie for a long time uh, beforehand, and uh, he was watching what I was doing, really, with it, and he... Um, him and I just started talking after Expo 2016 and like, you know, it was really kind of, uh, all kind of coming together and, uh, you know, we just kept figuring out if it was actually feasible to make the game and we, you know, we did like it just kind of worked out and we were able to, uh, we all, we worked very hard, not just myself, not just Charlie, but everybody involved in this project worked very hard to get that price down because of just the overall complexity of that game. Right. Now, let's let's talk about that. So when you guys started to look at the the bomb, which is is it the build of materials? I always get this wrong. It's a bill of materials. Bill yeah. of materials. Um, when you put it together, it must have been was it a, very expensive to put everything in that game when you're just building a one-off prototype? Yeah, I stopped keeping track of it actually. I was going to be really good about it and just see see how much I spent on it, but uh I stopped keeping track of it because there were things that I was doing, like I was bartering for certain things as well. So I don't really have a good number about it, but it was, I'll tell you, it was very, very expensive to put that together. Right. And so when, so when you connected with Charlie, what was that like going through the game and actually pricing out what it would cost to source the parts, to make the game as close as they possibly could, right, to your initial vision? Because you probably didn't want any element of the game to suffer because of material costs. Yeah, and it's not just that, Chris. It's also, um, I didn't want, like, if you take out any of the elements from that game, it really, you would lose a lot, and you would lose a lot of people wanting to get it because they played a game with full RGB, with full, you know, GI RGB, right? right. That's, 
if we pulled that out, like let's just pretend that we turned the GI to non-RGB or something, people would be really disappointed by it. It would lose some of that magical factor, you know? Right. Like anything. I mean, we we left every single thing in the game. We were able to do that. And, and how we were able to do that was we went through each part and we're just we just tried to efficiently, you know, get the parts from different sources or wherever, you know, like, I mean, the thing even has a beacon on top of it for production, which I was, I was thinking for sure they were going to make me take that out, but it, it, we did not. Right. And when you, when you guys started this, did you have a, a final price point in mind? Like we got to get this thing around this price. No, what we did first was we put the bill of materials together. Uh, and we said, here is how much it costs to build this thing. And then we said, now can we smash that down a little bit by getting different parts or whatever, you know, um, people taking pay cuts or whatever we had to do to, to get that down below a certain number. And we, uh, we were like, Hey, I bet we could get this below six, you know, like just, you know, obviously five bucks below six, right. but that's where, you know, that's where we ended up and we landed and it was, it's very hard. I mean, Sure, could Spooky make more money selling this game? They probably could, but we didn't think it was really fair to, you know, mark up a game unnecessarily. So we actually just we slammed it down and went the opposite direction with it. So that's so that's why I think people love Spooky and love what you guys are doing because the complete opposite and is going on in other areas of the hobby. And I know, and even when we were, I was looking at the communication today of our of, of communicating the game itself and it, it's not by coincidence that it says no le's exclamation points right i got the email from pinball star selling me on the game and we're seeing the complete opposite in, in other parts of the hobby where people are taking stuff out of the game charging more money so all that's profit but the collector and the pinball hobbyist has really started to become wiser and wants to see value. So, Scott, what's the final price point on TNA right now? Like, what's it cost right now to buy yeah. it? What it no, yeah, how much if I want to buy it tomorrow? Yeah, it's $59.95. Wow. So, and there is, is there like, are there street prices or that's the price? Because I know we all we always hear like MSRP and I then think, there's a street price. No, nah, that's just the price. I mean, that you're pretty much buying it direct from Spooky. There are some distributors that have them, but I don't. I don't believe they're going to be marking those down at all. I mean, I don't think there's no room. I mean, this, it can't. I, there's no possible way that could get any cheaper. I mean, this game has so much stuff in it that it's like I, I'm surprised we were even able to work hard enough to get that down. What if I don't know if you can tell me this, but where did you guys like when you first priced it? What was it coming in at? Um, I don't really remember. We didn't have everything done. We just started moving stuff around to try and get under six. Okay. And so the way Charlie's building the game is you guys are taking orders of 50, right? And then after that, you'll take more orders and you'll build the games in, in, in units of 50. That's correct? Yeah. So that, that's sort of how it works, right? So Charlie's taking um, orders now. He's taking deposits now, whether it's above 50 or if, even if it goes above 50, he's still going to take those. Um, but it will be built in batches of 50. Okay. Okay. So I know the specifics, like let's just pretend it sells like 60 units or something. Um, I, I don't know the specifics on what happens with those 10 people. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, 
what's the timing? I want to get all like the basic questions out of the way, Scott. Then I want to talk more about like some of the emotional stuff that's going on in your head. So the timing, if I order this game, what's the time frame people can expect it? Uh, so basically, I mean, right now, Charlie's saying that, uh, and I don't have tons of visibility into this, so I apologize, but he's saying right now that he's going to start shipping those two customers before the end of the year. Okay. Is what he's saying. So, so like December. Okay. I would safely say December. Okay. All right. Well, that's and is it is it going to go on the line simultaneously with Alice Cooper? Because I believe we should be seeing that game too over the next few months. If if all goes according to plan. Yeah, it's going to go. Uh, it will actually be first before Alice Cooper. It'll hit the production line first anyway. Okay. Uh, but then Alice Cooper will uh, be on the other line next to it. So. Okay. All right, so if you so and then, and the way people place orders too, we were talking about this right before we hit record. It's a thousand dollar deposit, right? That's non-refundable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I believe Charlie decided to do that this time, just because um, there were a lot of people that were like, you know, dropping out like last minute on things with the Rob Zombie, and the way Spooky makes these games is basically you you pay a little bit up front. They build your game completely, and when it's in the box, ready to go, you pay the rest of it. And what was happening was they were building these games, and then they were saying, okay, give me the rest of your money. And they're like, no, I want my deposit back. And they're like, you know, now Spooky's got to take this game and do a whole bunch of stuff and get it to somebody else. You know, it's like, right. a, you know, it, it's not like a major manufacturer. I mean, it, they're kind of just building them to spec, you know? Right. Well, I think it also... Taking a, dep- a non-refundable deposit, it helps to eliminate a lot of the speculators, the flippers, the guys that aren't really that that don't. You can't tell if they really want the machine, but if it's non-refundable, you really have to want the machine to, to order one, and that's good. It's that's how it should be. You should be excited and want to play the pinball machine. Um, it, it weeds out idiots like me who are flipping Batman's and Ghostbusters for a profit before even getting it. Um, but I, I think Charlie made a wise move there, and I think it's it's going to be good because another thing that we hear distributors and manufacturers doing it are all these like two hundred and fifty dollar refundable deposits. I saw Houdini's doing that, and I think when you do that as a manufacturer, you have no idea knowing what your actual orders are going to be, right? Because people can just bail the second you announce the price, and then you've ordered parts for maybe hundreds of machines. And then overnight, your order list might dry up, right? So uh, it's, a, it's a smart a, move. Yeah, and Spooky's a very small company. That can really hurt, man. Right. Right. So let, today was day one. I know that because I got emails from different distributors. I was reading Pinside. Do you guys know yet? Have you got some early sort of tally on how many orders came in on day one? Um, I don't know. Someone told me that there were 50 but I don't know any more over that. I'm, I don't really, I, honestly, I don't really want to know. I'll just, I'll wait. So, it's like election night, right? It's kind of, yeah, I know. I don't want to watch, but then you kind of do, and then you're like, eh, I don't know. Right. Well, the, good, the, the thing is, I mean, not every single order is going to come in on day one, too, right? It wasn't like, it wasn't one of these um, Jersey Jack, you know, everyone who orders by midnight in 2016 gets a dialed-in collector's edition, and then... You know, there wasn't like this race to order today, but... Um, that's not really, you know, that's not fair. Yeah. That's, 
this is a much better way of doing it, in my opinion. But again, that's just my opinion. Yeah. No, I mean, it's look, I think every step of the way, this game has been communicated properly. Charlie's always sort of been a straight shooter with all of his games. And, you know, what's exciting is that this game is different. And I, and I think as we look at the pinball hobby and we look at what other manufacturers are providing, there's a lot of options and there's a lot of great games. And uh, Scott, talk to me about, and I know you read the feedback and when people, your game really does bring into question what is a modern pinball machine, right? Talk to me about when you hear people saying, because it doesn't have a ramp, it's not really a modern pinball game. Like, what are your thoughts when you hear stuff like that? Well, I mean, it's the, first of all, the game's not for everybody. Okay. I mean, not everyone is going to like it. I really, um, I really prepared myself for people not to like it. Um, just because it is really different. It's got everything kind of stacked against it. You know, it's got, um, you know, f- f- no ramps, right? It's got, uh, you know, the the numeric displays on it, which are, well, I don't know, I guess it's not really a negative thing. That's a really, that's a cool thing. Um, but like, it's an unlicensed theme, right? It's got really loud artwork on it. Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot of things about it. Like it, it plays like a modern game, except it's like not at the same time. But anyway, like it, it's just, I really prepared myself for people not to like it, but understand not everyone will totally fine you know um but the people that do like it really understand what i was going for right i wanted to make something that was the ultimate goal is to make a fun pinball machine that you play with your friends you know isn't that a novel idea in 2017 to actually make the game fun well it must have been exciting when we interviewed george gomez and he said that out of all the games he played at different shows your game was the one he'd love to own um, and I think you, feedback has been really positive. And I think the reason why is when you start with an original theme, uh, it's your vision, right? You're not disappointing people's expectations of a movie they've loved and seen a thousand times. Yeah, that scares me. <laughs> yeah, well, well you're, you know, this is a world you created. This is a, a, a pinball game that has an amazing light show that sounds incredible, that is, is a different gameplay from everything else that people have been experiencing re- recently. And I think that's why people saw it as a refreshing break from the normal programming that we've been getting in pinball. Um, it, now, this has gone pretty quickly, right? I mean, you how many years have you been working on this game? Um, it's, I started it in November of 2015. So okay. about two years-ish. Wow. Okay. So, and it's just, it was just you, right? I mean, you did the programming, you did the design, you did, you, you built this thing basically. Did you have any help when you were making the prototype? Um, not really. I mean, I had, well, so the things that I did do were, uh, I designed it, uh, myself completely. Um, I did the, um, basic programming for it. Uh, I did have some help on the programming just from the open source P rock community. Um, with, uh, you know, with a different framework and, uh, that I'm using, I mean, like skeleton games. So there's a bunch of us using that. Um, I did all of the audio. I did all of the, you know, light shows and stuff like that. Um, at first I did the animations on the, on the screen there. And those were just like some basic placeholder things. 
Um, but those have now been completely redone by the spooky animator who is like ridiculously talented. Awesome. Um, and no one's seen that yet, right? No one's seen it yet, but we're going to be doing a stream really soon. Uh, and it'll have the new animations. It'll have the actual machine with artwork on it. You can see the the new GI that I engineered that's like it, it's like three times brighter than the one that was in the Whitewood version. Wow. Let's, so, really let's, nice. let's talk a little bit about... Well, and before we... Oh, I want to talk a little bit about the artwork. But you were a DJ, right? At one point, or still are. You never lose was, skill. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I don't really do it much anymore, but I've been uh, I've been doing like music writing stuff and tinkering with that since like late '90s. Right. What? So, pinball sound is something that I believe. You know, when you when you play your game and and the way it sounds so awesome and, and it really like just hits you on an audio level. Uh, unlike most games, do you when you did, did you feel like the audio in pinball had been lacking in terms of like just kind of giving you that punch of music that gets your adrenaline going? Uh, absolutely. Actually, I've been feeling that a lot longer than I've had an idea to build a machine. I mean, I've always, like when I first got into pinball and I realized, like I, I came from the arcade scene. So like arcade machines, there were so many arcade machines, like different arcade machines, like titles, right? Like just to me, it felt unlimited, you know? And then I got into this pinball world and it was, there was a lot less titles of pinball machines than there were arcade machines and i was like oh man i gotta find one like i shouldn't have any problem i want to find one with like some drum and bass music in it right I'm like there's got to be one somewhere right, right. and i looked around I, I couldn't find anything like the music and pinball machines was just not great to me you know it, it, none of it was like the because i was really into like hard techno and drum and bass and stuff like that and i thought it was really like pinball machines are supposed to amp you up and music is a really good way to do that so um, when I did Earthshaker, Aftershock, um, I put a whole bunch of like drum and bass music in there. There's some like, you know, early dubstep in there and stuff. There's, there's stuff that just kind of like gets you excited. And I think that's, you know, and I really, when I started writing music for this game, I really focused on keeping it, you know, in this whole genre of exciting music, but not, not too far out that it's you know going to offend people like you know that dubstep stuff with the screechy noises and stuff like that just like people don't like people who don't listen to electronic music listen to that and go what the you know what the hell is that like that's awful right so you know so yeah. i stayed away from that but like you know i i stayed in this exciting genre of electronic music that um that i really like and it just you know it, it works out real well now i mean the game sounds incredible now in terms of the speakers in the game because not just the music, but your your machine was just kicking at, at, at TPF when I saw it. So, are have the speakers like what, what kind of speakers will be in the final production version of the game? Right? Is it going to sound as good as it did at the shows? I'll tell you what. Let let me tell you first. I'll start with what's in the Whitewood version, and then we'll talk about the production one. Cool. Yeah. All right. So the the Whitewood version has two five inch speakers on the top. Uh, those are controlled by one of those cheap, like $20 Lepi amps off Amazon, right? No big deal, really standard, you know, homebrew guys use that amp all the time. It's fine. Um, but there's this bandpass box that I built in the bottom of the cabinet, which has a, uh, 300 watt, um, subwoofer in it, a kicker subwoofer. It's only an eight inch subwoofer and I've got a 300 watt matched kicker amplifier for it 
Um, that's this is all like car equipment. So I'm running that like pretty damn loud. I took all the bass out of the top, uh, the top speakers, and then uh, put all the you know took all the treble out of the bottom, obviously, uh, and it made a really nice cohesive sound, right? So right. that is extremely loud the way it is. Um, the production version though is actually a little louder <laughs> than, <Wow. laughs> than the than the Whitewood version. Uh, we used different components. What we did was we uh, we got a completely different amplifier. We're not using any cheap like Lepi amps off Amazon or anything. Um, a completely different amplifier. Uh, it has two five inch speakers up above, just like the um, the Whitewood version. But it's got instead of an eight inch sub down in the base, it's actually got a ten inch sub. Um, which is power matched to the amplifier, and um, that is also encased in the production version. It's encased in a speaker box so that all the sound is going to be forced out of the pinball machine and not into it rattling the glass and the mechanics and stuff. So we were able to keep that subchamber thing that I built. Right, which is awesome because I think I saw a lot of people asking that, you know, when they saw the price, people just assumed it was going to lose some of that, right? And and it's it's really, no pun intended, music to people's ears that this game is going to sound just as good as it did at the shows. And, I mean, it sounds incredible. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that sound is, is one of the missing elements in so many machines. And, you know, we have, like, the machines that are based on rock bands, and that's sort of cheating because we're you're know, playing music that has already stirred people's souls for decades um, but for the most part, pinball machines should should have like an, an incredible soundtrack. Um, so let's talk about art, uh, Scott, because I know the artist on this machine is is an artist that the world has come to know in pinball. Matt Andrews, who worked on some of the John Papadou games. How did you get connected to Matt? Was it through Spooky? Was it through Ben? Like, what's the story of how you sort of found him as your artist? Yeah, that's that's actually interesting. Um... Yeah, so Charlie and Ben were, um, you know, knew of him. And, uh, you know, when I, I actually heard Matt Andrews on your podcast, and then I was, uh, we, it was one of the people that I was thinking of reaching out to. Um, and when I heard him on your podcast, I was t- listening to him, and I'm like, you know, it's, you know, it's pretty, uh, you know, he seems like a pretty cool guy. So, I, you know, I just, I just shot him an email. And uh, from there, we just kind of connected. But uh, Ben and Charlie um, had, uh, you know, uh, had, had recommended him as well. So it's uh, it was coming from multiple directions here. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess that's meant to be. So. <laughs> and, and how was that working with Matt? So talk to me about, was that nerve-wracking? You've got like a white wood, right? It's just a, it's a blank game. And is, is it difficult to just figure out, like, how am I going to cover this with art? Yeah, it's it's very difficult. This the playfield itself. Um, one of my buddies, Jeremy Wilson, actually um, mocked up some ideas with me uh, when we first when I first started like looking at getting some art on the playfield here because I I just can't do artwork. Like I, I'm also not a good art director like by any mean. But but um, Jeremy helped me like get some ideas down on the playfield, and then from there like he we, he vectored a bunch of stuff. Um, but from there, it allowed me to see a little bit about what I wanted on the playfield, and then I was able to when we uh, when I switched over to have Matt do the art like completely drawn, uh, you know, like um, illustrated. Um, 
it, uh, it, it really helped a lot to get that going. And, uh, in this project too, like working with Matt has been just outstanding. I mean, he's, he's a great communicator, you know, he's really, really talented. He doesn't need too much direction and he right. kind of figured out, you know, he, he figured out what I was trying to get across, even though I'm, you know, a bumbling fool, you know, when it comes to that stuff sometimes. Right. Right. Uh, so they gave him tons of freedom. So he he was able to do a lot of things, and I was able to say, "Hey, I don't like this, or I like this, or how about like something else?" You know. Right. But, Let, you know, let's but, talk about the back glass because who who is that? Is that woman someone you know? I, I know people are speculating. Yeah. Well, there's no speculation actually. That that <laughs> uh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people know this already, but that that girl was based off of uh, my wife actually. So it's not my wife. But it is a drawing that slightly resembles her. Right. Um, she, uh, it sounds super corny, but she's like, uh, the reason I'm able to spend so much time on this project is she's like been really pulling a bunch of uh, weight around here and letting me get away with things I shouldn't. Right. So, right. <laughs> are there any Easter eggs or things in the back class that are cool to point out? I'm just looking at it now. It's got, it's got a lot going on here. Yeah, there's there's tons of stuff in there. I don't know if you want me to just like call them out because that's not fun. Give me one. Give us one to start. Um, there's a. Uh, Who's the guy above the door? The guy above the door is uh, that is not even that's not even a an Easter egg. That's just the <laughs> security guy. Um, the uh, there is a Lion Man movie poster in there with two of my best friends' names on it. <laughs> okay, so we. We've been somewhat critical of the artwork on this show. And you know me. I'm an art okay. fiend. I, I love detail. I love, like, depth. You know, I, I'm, it's, I'm blinded by Magic Girl, even though the game doesn't work. Uh, it, it's, I'm just such a detail whore. There was a lot of feedback back and forth. And, and when you show a game early, right, Scott? I mean, there's always that pin side sort of response to everything which is like i love it then the next day they're like i hate it then the next day they're like we love it again what, yeah. what was it like reading people's feedback when you showed what the game looked like uh you know it, it's actually okay like honestly i mean i know i had already accepted people weren't gonna like it you know like it's different it's it's very different um the um play field itself it it looks from from a distance. It looks like it doesn't have a lot of detail, uh, and it doesn't have as much detail as something like you know Dirty Donnie would do or Jeremy Packer would do on a playfield. You know, it's like it's it's a lot more simple, and it's very different from what's out there already. I mean, there's tons of detail playfields already. You know, look at like Houdini, look at Aerosmith. You know, look at right. Metallica. Even like it's they're so detailed. You know, but I wanted to make something of slightly less detailed with you know but have more um you know that but there's more going on like in the game with the lights and everything you know what i mean like, right. it doesn't need all this super depth um, but don't be wrong though i mean there are there there's tons of stuff in that play field and no because no one's seen it lit up yet right with the art um have they, so, or, or did you bring it to like, it has there's some pictures oh no i haven't seen it in real life no um unless you stopped by spooky pinball and played it but um i have the, not yet yeah the prototype is sitting over there at spooky pinball um that one there was just pictures of it lit up which is they don't really do it justice um but uh yeah we're going to be 
showing the game um, at the Pinball Life Open House uh, for Expo. Okay. The, uh, the games will not be at Expo. Game will not be at Expo, but Pinball no, Life will. They'll be at the Pinball Life Open House. Okay, so Pinball Life is doing the party again? Yeah, I don't have any details on it yet, but well, uh, it'll be soon. Okay, I think last year, right, they didn't have their party, that Stern Stern's big epic. No, it was there. Was it there? I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe. I'm sad this year. Listeners of the show, I just realized that I'm going to be in Greece during Pinball Expo because it is it is the, what, the weekend of like the 15th, 16th, and 17th or something like that. Yeah, I'd have to look at a calendar. It breaks my heart, <laughs> but I'll be at the Acropolis and the Greek Isles, so um, I'm, I'm I'm devastated on on, on a small level. Uh, okay, so Scott, this is like this is like so. What's what what's next? And is it just getting production ramped up? Like what's what's between now and games going out? Like what are you doing on a day to day basis? Um, I need to bulletproof the software. So my number one priority right now. Because production, I don't have to deal with production, right? Like Spooky Pinball deals with production. But I have to make sure that when this game goes out, that software is A, very stable, B, works for all the operators, uh, and C, has all the features and everything in it that, you know, because I want it, I want to release it. It's pretty much done, it has everything in it. Um, I'm not ruling out the fact that I might add stuff later for fun. Or, you know, because someone gave me a great suggestion or something, I'm like, oh, that might be really cool. I might add that later on or something. Right. I might do that because people kind of like uh, getting new software and exploring the new software, you know? It kind of makes the game fresh again. Even, uh, like, for your game, you know, changing the musical tracks every once in a while too would be fun as well, you know? Because there's stuff you can do. You can play around with more than just the pinball objectives. You can change audio even and ha- have a yeah. new sort of experience. <laughs> I can do whatever, whatever I think is fun, I guess. I, you know, I, I don't know yet what I would change, but uh, as it sits right now, all the features and functionality are in it. I just need to make sure that it's just rock solid and there's no weird behavior or anything in it that's, you know, that right. would make it look bad, you know? <laughs> so something that Jersey Jack did successfully with Dialed In is he put it on location for a while to get feedback from people and, and see how the game held up to being out and about, right? Because games get really used and abused out on location. Is that something that Spooky might do to see how this game is holding up and if there's any areas of wear on the play field or any issues with with any of the mechanics of the game? Um, well, first of all, I'll address the, the play field issue. Um, right now we have a production play field in a test rig and it is uh, it has been on like firing balls up in the air and dropping them on inserts like thousands and thousands of times and it's just running right now uh it's testing it's firing things into the eject scoops the eject scoops are firing things in with like we would just like you know bent some ball guides and just screw them right to the play field and like making the ball fly into the pop bumper you know thousands of times but there's an actual test rig set up right now to make sure that that play field is going to hold up and not going to ghost and not going to do anything weird you know mm-hmm. um but you know, so so that's that's that part of it. Um, we are going to be putting a few of these on location. Uh, the first few off the line are going to go on location just so we can test the software, make sure it's really, you know, there there really is nothing wrong. Um, 
the software is pretty cool. Uh, the fact that like when you, if you have to do an update, it's super easy to do. Like it's, you just take a file, you take one file and you put it on a USB stick and that USB stick, you just pop it in the computer and it completely just does everything for you. And then you're done. And it tells you to take the stick out. Right. It doesn't even like, yeah, it, you don't have to go in any service menu or anything like that. Okay. That sounds super simple. Yeah. Okay. So the game, so we're, we're, we're polishing it and it's, I think it's also, you know, people are so used to waiting so long for code. This game's going to come out. It's going to be, it's going to be done. Um, talk about, again, I've been reading some of the feedback. Uh, some of the people who are saying it, the game is very repetitive and you're doing the same objective over and over again. What, what, what do you, what are your thoughts when you hear people say that about like the gameplay itself? No, I agree. I completely agree. The, uh, the, the rule set's very linear, right? You start at reactor one, you try and work your way to reactor nine, but I'll tell you what, if someone wants to come over here, throw some dollars on the glass of my white wood that I have sitting right next to me and try to beat me, you know, uh, I would love that. So, uh, Crazy Levy, do you hear that? And then I want, and then I want them to, after they're done trying to beat me, which they may or may not, then I want them to uh, to tell me if they like the software or not. Right. Because well, what, what, it's a it's a different beast, man. And it this is not a game that allows you to play in control. Right. It's challenging, okay. and and I think what people yeah. like about it as well, and, and we saw this on the streams, and people have been bringing this up. It's a really fun pinball game to play with four players because uh, you're not going to sit there and watch someone play for a half hour. Nope. And what's really interesting, too, that I've noticed, and I've noticed myself doing this, I've noticed other people when I just watch people play, is, you know, two people, let's just pretend two people are playing a, a two-player game, right? Um, and they're playing for dollars. They're, they're going to lose their dollar if they don't win. But I see the other person rooting for the other guy when it's their turn. Right. They're like, oh my God, you're one shot away from destroying like the third reactor. They're like, there's an extra ball after that. You got to hit it. You got to do it. And then like they choke and everyone's like, no. Right. You know? Well, what's, what's fun about, and you're into video games and arcade games, what's fun about just breaking up the, the traditional pinball approach, which is these billion point scores and it's all about the scores and the objectives of the game don't really matter. It's all about like, sort of manipulating the scoring and the multipliers and the stacking of modes. What I like about the way your game is, is it, it is a little linear and that's fine because it's you're trying to get to the end and you're trying to get through the game versus just trying to beat the person with a score because the satisfaction is in getting through the reactors versus just scoring. So yeah. I, I think that that's important in, in pinball because I think so much is like, only focus on tournament players and how they manipulate the scoring in games. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, there are random factors thrown into this, too. I mean, let's just, I'll, I'll just throw you a situation. I'll walk you through, like, the first reactor, right? So you have to solve a grid kind of like Pinbot in the middle of the play field, right, to unlock the reactor, right? You're trying to find, you're basically trying to, like, hack in and get the code right, right? Then you shoot the scoop that's to the left of there, and that actually starts the reactor. Then once that reactor is running, you fire the ball. you got to get to one of the orbits, right, to get up top because there's controlled gates up top. If you hit one, hit an orbit that's not lit, it's just going to fly all the way around. You're not going to get into the core, right? You're trying to get into that reactor core and heat it up. So that changes when you hit the slingshot, so it's not easy. 
so that you get to the top, let's say you over you bring the reactor critical, so you got to get out of the reactor now, and there is now a random shot, one random shot lit on the bottom of the playfield, flashing super bright in your face, right? And that is the shot that you have to go for. It could be some. It could be easy. It could be a hard shot. Uh, it could be a very risky shot. Um, you never know. I mean, sometimes it's the pop bumper, you know. And this and this will be randomized, Scott. So if you play it multiple times, that won't always be the same shot. Correct. It is random based on the like. It's some crazy random thing that I made based on milliseconds of when you actually started the game. See, see, I like that because I think what happens in a lot of these games is people just memorize the patterns of the modes, and and that's what makes a game get old. Is you're always shooting the same couple shots in the same order to get through to achieve whether the mode complete the mode or to get the points. So this is completely different, and it's 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 so for people out there who think it's you're always doing the same thing. Yeah, every pinball machine, the shot, like the physical shots don't change. That's why you rely on software to make the game come alive in different ways and random randomize stuff. So that that's actually, you know, I think it can be really fun for people. And, you know, look, I, I think that the game itself being difficult, I like that. I, I there's The reason why I dropped out of my pinball league, I just couldn't watch people play like Spider-Man with like 20-minute balls. I, I just, I couldn't, because I think this randomness also evens out the play field a little bit between like great players and good players and decent players. So everyone's going to struggle a little bit to get Reactor 9 blown up. Is it, how hard is it to get through all nine reactors? Uh, the best I've ever seen anyone get to was Reactor 5. Wow. Yeah, and that's that was a pretty damn good game. Um, so when it's on location test, I have a bunch of uh, I have a bunch of audits that collect and uh, collect all this data, so I can see kind of where we're at. And I don't really want you know I don't really want people to be able to get to the end a lot. You know, but it should be def- it should be achievable like once. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, there are some people. I have some friends out there, Scott. Like when they beat a game, they're kind of like, "I'm done with it," and then they're like, "Is there going to be a wizard mode?" And and but you know, most people never beat games, right? Most people, like no one ever, like how many people get to Valinor? How many people sort of actually achieve that really difficult final goal? And for a lot of those guys, like that's what keeps them owning the machine. So I think for people who get TNA, they're going to be blowing up Reactor Nine like anytime soon. So that that's 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 good. It'll stay challenging. So, so it's stay challenging. I mean, like for instance, like a good example of that is High Speed, right? So High Speed, the game. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but like you basically collect all the traffic lights, get the uh, get the ramp to light red, like a red light. You run the red light, you get you lock your balls, do all sorts of stuff, you get you um, get your jackpot, you know, whatever. But then the game restarts. You start over again. Like that's the end of the game. I mean, so what you do with that sort of game is you don't set it easy. You set it hard so it's very, very hard for you to get to the end of that game, right? The end of that cycle. That's kind of what I've done here, and you know, um, you know, then there'll be some settings and stuff people can do in the service mode if they really want, or they can put rubber bands over the outlines or whatever. Now, the outlines are, 
I mean, they can do it. I do just play with the glass off, and then I'm a pinball champion every weekend. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so Scott, like, talk me. Let's talk about the hobby a little bit because your game's coming out, and on this podcast, you know, we cover everything that's going on in in in, in the news of pinball and all these new machines. And I think on my a couple podcasts ago, I was counting the amount of new in-box machines that are going to be available just by the end of this year. We're talking about something like over 20 titles, which is incredible in 2017. Wow. There's that many games coming out new in-box that people can buy. What, I almost believe that. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel TNA is going to do? Do you, are, do, do you get nervous that you're going up against these juggernaut themes, or do you feel just like... It's really happy it's coming out, and it's 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 a different kind of pinball for a different kind of player. No, it's I I'm not even concerned about it at all. My game's not it's not uh, meant to compete with Stern. It's not meant to compete with Houdini. You know these these games. I mean, I, it probably won't sell a ton of games. You know, I mean, I I think maybe it'll, maybe if I'm lucky, it'll sell like 200. That would be amazing. But like. You know, and but it, it's a completely different thing, man. I mean, it's not, it's not a, I don't even know how to word it properly. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a pinball machine for a pretty niche market, I think. But I could be totally off base. I'm not exactly sure now. <laughs> so, so Charlie, I mean, there's, there's not really a sales goal. I mean, is is so? Are you guys ordering like enough parts for fifty that way? It, you don't really have to like that. That's each each finish line for you guys is fifty games. And then that's where it makes sense to order parts for that many machines. So you're not stockpiling parts for like hundreds of games, and you do fifty at a time, right? So and yeah, Spooky, Spooky can do that because they're small. And they don't they don't have to have like two hundred employees and a huge factory um, yeah. to make that viable. So. Irregardless of the success of TNA, Scott, are you working on another game? Right now, absolutely not. <laughs> no way. This game has to be done. This this thing has to be rock solid. Like if I just, if you just, if you should, just imagine what would happen if I just started working on something else and like the software got out and there was like tons of bugs in it and it just wasn't good. It just looks like I, you know, half-assed everything. Like right. that, that's awful. Like no one's gonna, they're gonna be like, oh, it's next game. Great. Who cares? Right. So it's. 100% focus on TNA, making sure everything is great, no side projects, no distractions, get the game to consumers um, in the best possible way. So that's, that's yeah. good news too. I mean, we've, we've seen so many people spread so thin, you know, everything from, you know, the J-Pops working on four games at once of the world to, uh, you know, people waiting for their Batman code to be done after almost a year of the game being out and it's still not there. So I, I think the advantage you guys have is, you know, you're going to buy a game that's done for the most part, right? And you're going to have a guy who built it who's going to focus on giving you support and, and listening to your feedback and incorporating that because... Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I listen to as much feedback as I can. I mean, I, I do read that thread on Pinside when I have time. Um, I don't really respond in it because I just, honestly, I just don't have time to respond to everybody's questions. Um, but... I do read it, you know, um, the feedback, uh, you know, people will say, say things about, you know, like the art, like it should be this or that at this point in time, like it's just too late to change the art. It it is the way that I do want it. Um, and I'm not saying some of the feedback that people are saying is good or bad. It's just, you know, it's just feedback. It's opinions. Um, 
but I'm very happy with how the art is right now. Uh, Matt and I are both very happy with it. Um, but well, and, you know, we said this on. Um, I, I mean, I, I had to give Oryx some shit on my podcast. You know me. I mean, because he he was always the most critical of everyone else's art, and then he's on there being like, "Everyone, be nice." It's just like, but it's you know, somewhere in the middle is 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 where everyone should be. Which is, it's okay to have an opinion. At the end of the day. You know, either buy a game or don't buy a game, right? I mean, this is just pinball. We're, we're talking about a non-essential item that is subjective. It, the whole – an entire machine is subjective. You can like the gameplay. You can hate the gameplay. You can like the art. You can hate the art. You can like the music. You can hate the music. Every element of a toy like this is subjective. Yeah, I think I think my friends are also really like so, – you know, they'll hop in there sometimes and say stuff like that because they, they see how hard I'm actually working on this thing. It's just like it, – it's – it's brutal to hear like people just being mean for just the sake of being mean to someone who's working so hard to deliver something to the pinball community. It's for, you know, it's for people now, you know? I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I mean, it's, it, it's easy for me to put a mic on and just blast like star Wars pinball over and over again. It's a lot harder to be Steve Ritchie and make star Wars pinball and then have to hear an idiot like me going off on it. But, um, but I think, Scott, you know, my big thing with the hobby recently has just all been about value, that people are paying a lot for these and they, they should get the value for what they pay for. And I think without a doubt, nobody looks at TNA and says, I just don't see the value there. I think people expected it to come in higher. I thought it was going to come in even higher, a couple thousand more even. Um, so I, I think at the price point, I, I think it's a really attractive game to come out at this time. You know, games are getting really expensive. And I also like that there's no LEs, that you're not making people feel like they, they're getting like a lesser version or putting stuff in that doesn't enhance the gameplay or the experience just to make money, which is what we're seeing from other manufacturers. So what, what are your thoughts on the hobby that just in general, Scott, what's going on right now? Are you... Um, are you just sort of focused on your thing and you don't want to say, you know, you don't really pay too close attention to the other stuff going on? I have been. I mean, I think, like, I don't know why people are upset at, like, Star Wars, for instance. Like, I, from what I played on it, I really liked it. I don't, I think what uh, what Dwight did with the software, with the, like, bonus multiplier thing, and, like, I, I think what he did was pretty creative. Uh, you know, is the game a little bit deep for my own likings? Maybe slightly, but that's just my opinion i mean it doesn't really make the game a bad game you know what i mean it doesn't at all actually yeah uh, i mean my my gripe has always just been the amount of stuff in the star wars universe and th- again this is just like theme integration right you, and it's subjective like you i just think you can put more in a star wars pinball machine than we're getting but it's also this is how steve Ritchie makes games so it's no surprise that this is He's a he's a king of speed, right? And he wants you you don't get speed when you drop a lot of stuff on the playfield. So and Star Wars is just a game where the expectations are super high, as they should be, it's Star Wars. Um, you know, it's hard for pinball to to deliver on a on a theme where the expectations are through the roof. You can do it better with a video game, you can do it better with virtual reality now. It's just you want to immerse someone in the Star Wars world. It's it's difficult. I mean, I don't envy people trying to make these themes come to life on a, on a pinball play field. Yeah, I mean, you only get limited amount of space. I mean, there's not that much space inside a pinball machine. You right. know, it, 
you, know, you can't just throw everything in there. You'll you'll just clutter it up, and it'll be just too much stuff in there. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I could be also biased too because like Steve Ritchie is one of my favorite pinball designers of all time. Like my first pinball machine I ever owned was a high speed. Like it's you know it. He just I don't know the way his layouts are pretty. They're just great, man. He just like gets the job done. You know, and it's fast. They're well, really pretty. you know, it's the the. The LE Star Wars games are shipping this week, so we'll get more reviews from people. Yeah, but it's it's pinball, right? I mean, people who buy the games always say they're great. People who are not even in on it say how much they hate it. It's like the it's the way of the pinball forum universe. Uh, I'm trying to step back even from being so hypercritical because at the end of the day, I, I you know it's like look, it's we have a lot of options out there, and buy what you love. Play it and buy it. And I think that's that's the thing is what's coming to an end in this hobby is the buying the game before you even play it, buying it before you see it, and then having to justify buying it without even playing it because it makes people very, very defensive. And I think that's another thing with these LE models of selling games is a lot of people went in on Star Wars LE and wanted to feel like they were, you know, they were going to get something that other people didn't get because it was going to be so in demand and I think now that the man, the demand for that game is you can still go get an LE today in Star Wars it's not even sold out I think that's led people to be like oh see it's not that good it didn't sell out but that's not that's, that may not be the case it's just there's 800 of them and it's yeah, not right. grand you know at that's some level games, man. yeah I mean I, I don't know where what the future of the LEs is actually going to be to tell you the truth I mean I never really was a fan of the LEs because it's like you know, they're just, it's a, you know, it's a machine that, you know, they, they put more stuff in, obviously, to make it more collectible. But like, I don't know if you can force collectability. Like, does that, that's not really how it works, right? Games that were collectible before this whole era, they either didn't make many of them, or, or there aren't many surviving editions that aren't good shape. So games like... Monster Bash and Medieval Madness and Tales of the Arabian Nights and Circus Voltaire. Like, they didn't, they, those games were never built to be collected, right? Most of them went on location and were beat up, and to have a nice one was really hard to find. But now it's like arbitrary collectibles where you set a number, you try to create scarcity, you try to put elements in that are seemingly more valuable. But the problem is, there's just too many games, like I was saying, right? 22 games coming out. Most of them have, like, an LE version. Yeah. Then nothing's really limited. I mean, it's like when Jack has, like, a thousand Wizard of Oz's that are limited, and then makes another thousand limited in Ruby Red Edition. It's There's 2,000 of them out there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know, though. I mean, at first, I think it was, I think it worked really well at first, but I just don't know what the future holds for that. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. What's good about your game is one edition. Everything's in it. It'll be working on day one. It'll be, um, you know, spooky will make the games that people put deposits on. There's not going to be any question marks about whether production will occur. Um, so we're thinking sometime in Q4 2017 people. So Scott, if someone wants to order total nuclear annihilation, like what's the best, method is it to find a distributor contact spooky is either one works um you can i think they're opening up the um i think they're opening up orders for the 
like just anyone uh, on Wednesday of this week, which would be the what sixteenth or something? What is that? Sixteenth? Uh, yes. Yeah. So they're opening up orders for them, and then I guess I think you could just send a, a message to KT at SpookyPinball.com. The letter K and the letter T. All right. Well, Scott, this is definitely we're, we're coming up on the hour. This has definitely been an exciting, I know, experience for you, and it's an exciting day with the order banks opening up. And and I talk to a lot of people, and everyone I talk to has nothing but you know just positive things to say about you, and are happy to see your game come to fruition and to be out there. I mean, it's got to be fun knowing that your product will be in collections for decades and maybe, who knows, Scott, like maybe 20 years from now, people will be spending 50 grand because, you know, there's 200 TNAs out there and that's it versus like thousands of Star Wars machines out there. <laughs> I hope not, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I know, I know. We're all going to be playing virtual reality. I keep saying, if people don't understand what's coming yeah. tech-wise, it's like, this is the last era of pinball. It really is. Like, we're going to have a good, like, another 10 years, maybe, hopefully. But, man, you, you've seen VR. It, it's just, like... Oh, yeah. I played my buddy's HTC Vive the other day, and that, that was the craziest thing I've ever done. It's, in, it's insane. Like, kids growing up these days, they're, they're not even going to... You know, it's kind of like in Back to the Future 2, where he plays the light game, and the kid's like, like, you have to use your hands? Like, what are you doing? Like... It's going to be like that. Um, well, Scott, anything else before we sort of wrap up here? Anything you want to say to the the loyal listeners of Canada's Pinball Podcast? Um, no, but thank you for listening to my ramblings. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, we, it's always a pleasure. We hope to have you on again soon. As, as games start to go on location and games ship, it'd be great to have you come back on as you hear more feedback on TNA. But everyone out there, I think, you know, Scott's an amazing dude, and we're just really happy to see your game out in the world, and, and it's just another option that people have when they want to go buy a fun pinball machine that's not the typical cookie-cutter approach to pinball. All right. Yeah, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime. All right, Scott. Have a great night. All right, you too. See ya. Bye.